You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. Thank you for tuning in to Mining Stock Education. I am your host, Bill Powers. And one of the goals of me as the host of this show is to bring you different experienced perspectives on speculating and investing in the resource sector. So today I bring to you a new guest. It's Daniel Cook. He is an editor and newsletter writer over at bullmarketrun.com where they focus on resource investing. And one of Daniel's claims to fame, as he shared with me in an email exchange, is that he got a shout out from Eric Sprott in the December podcast of Ask the Expert, the Sprott podcast, where Eric referenced their work and said it was of good quality. Uh, Daniel, part of his history is that he was a stockbroker through college during tough times. That was the 2008 and 2009 crisis, and I'm sure some of that experience will help inform how he navigates his personal finances and his newsletter through the current crisis that we're going through. So with that being said, Daniel, welcome to Mining Stock Education. And how about we start off with you giving a little more background on yourself, uh, resource sector, such a niche little little tiny sector. How did you find your way here? Well, Bill, first, you're making me blush. I, I have to admit, uh, <laughs> you know, the I never wanted to think of myself as much of a guru, but you're giving me a little bit of a stage here. This is my coming out party. And I was just telling Bill, everyone, before the interview that Mining Stock Education, that's the kind of YouTube channel you'd introduce to mom. You, know, I, I, you ask good questions, and I feel like you're really uh, in your learning curve process as well. So it's, it's, uh, it'll be a fun conversation. And, yeah, I, I got interested in the market when I was a kid, basically. That's uh, my elevator pitch. Grandmom was at the beach. She's like, hey, you know, talk to me about stocks a little bit. She gave me two choices, Gillette or Home Depot. And uh, I can still remember I used to hate going to Home Depot with my mom when she'd be buying irrigation supplies or something to fix the sprinklers. And I'd be in Home Depot for two hours, kind of quarantined with her. But once I put my first $200, I bought uh, five shares of Home Depot. It was 40 bucks a share. And, and that was the late 90s. So um, that was the start for me. And I've uh, seen everything since then. I've read all the books and kind of taken uh, a little bit from each person. Uh, borrow brilliance is my philosophy, basically. And um, yeah, I started, uh, you know, so in terms of, you know, one of your questions was about this volatility over the last couple weeks or month. And, and I haven't seen it. It reminds me of when I first started in the business. Uh, 08, 09 crash. I was newly Series 7 licensed stockbroker. And, um, yeah, you'd turn around and the Dow would be down or up a couple thousand points, just like what we've been seeing recently. And uh, selling stocks over the phone was uh, not very easy at that time. What would be some of your key takeaways? What, what did you learn during that crisis that you find applicable to what we're seeing in today's market? Really, one of the biggest things I learned is, is how the phone really can be a really effective tool. So this isn't market stuff, but the phone is a way to connect with people wherever they are in the world. And if you've got good information and ask good questions, you can keep their attention. And I think it just shows you that these times do pass. And 
I'm never someone to predict where the market's going. That's way above my pay grade, but I'm, I'm basically an investigator. I like to think of myself as the investigative investment guy. I really enjoy, you know, mining the market and turning over all the rocks. And um, I'll tell you in times like this too, one of the things that does keep you a little uh, improves your mental health. So for all the mining stock listeners out there that are, already experts are still learning. I mean, it's nice to not talk grams and tons all the time too. So I think we'll normally mainly talk about exploration and mining today, but um, one of the things when I listened to your talk with Ross Beatty, that was excellent. Um, he mentioned how the fundamentals right now are fantastic. Mm-hmm. The fundamentals are fabulous. And, and I kind of described it as a, as a luxurious time to be a, a smart speculator in, in exploration and mining because you don't normally expect to be able to buy luxury goods and name brand products at a discount. But, but at this moment in time, everything we could have expected, I mean, the, it's basically happened. And yet these, these companies are about as cheap as they've ever been, some of them. So to wrap up that thought there, it, it, it looks so obvious to me. One of my first pieces I wrote for bullmarketrun.com was called the Uber of doctor visits. And when I was digging around uh, every year, MIT puts out a list of what they consider their 50 smartest companies in the world. And back in 2016, one of the companies on that list was called Teladoc trades on the NASDAQ. It's, you know, it's an over $10 billion company now. And, and all of a sudden you even hear the president talking about telehealth and, and people see why something like telehealth is so important, but I thought it was just as obvious four years ago. And I mean, that was a stock that went from $15 and uh, it's over $170 a share today. So um, I don't discriminate. I'm always looking around. I, I've always just been partial to small caps, companies that really didn't have a lot of analyst coverage. Maybe I could figure something out. I you know, always thought something, what could I know about a Tesla or an Apple? It's, you know, every time they sneeze or cough, somebody somebody's reporting on it. So, and you know, Daniel, on that point, Rick Rule says there's such a knowledge arbitrage in the mining sector because there isn't the coverage, and most speculators don't put in the due diligence necessary to be successful in this sector. So you're you're taking advantage of a naturally existing arbitrage. Well, well, what are you? How are you feeling, Bill? I, I listened to you a couple of weeks ago, right in the thick of it, and and you sounded a, a bit nervous. You know, you mentioned some of your favorite stocks. Uh, some of the silver ones, I believe, were down way more than you could have imagined. So, so how are you feeling now? You know, they they have bounced back a bit, but so I'm feeling? trying to gather some more cash to have that on standby. And my expectation is that we will see a double bottom or even worse. So I guess my perspective, and I'm sp- speaking specifically of the mining sector, but also I think that the general equities. I don't, I can't see that we would have a sustained bull market run over the next six months with the way things are. I feel like when that needle popped, that the pressure is going to be downward from here, at least for some time. So that's my expectation. So with that being said, I'm looking for, looking towards poising myself for more buying opportunities. So I'm, I'm actually hoping a lot of mining stocks go lower that are on my watch list. Yeah, I guess if anyone that was fully invested, all you can do at this point is keep working to make more money to keep putting money into some of these companies, I guess. And, and it's, it's, uh, I, I noticed a lot of people have 
been talking about how they were kind of out of the market or or whatever it may have been and man they just timed it perfectly and i can't say the same but i was uh generally speaking some of the accounts i still manage and, and probably in that 20 to 40 percent cash area so well, just in terms of allocation right and, and you saying you're you, you'd like to buy more and and that's the problem right when people are fully invested is you have to sell something to you know raise cash or or find some new money so what I found over the years is that a sweet spot for, you know, asset allocation is somewhere in the 12 stocks to 18 stocks range. And some studies show that that basically gives you diversification enough. And one of the things I was always concerned about is being overly diversified. So, so that's kind of a nice number, at least for me somewhere in the 12, 15, 18 stocks at any given time, you're always looking to and you know upgrade the quality of those holdings. You know, that's something that never ends. But you know, it's up to each person, but it is it's tough to have the cash position, but something to always I think you don't ever want to let it go below 10. Well, I have a lot of friends that focus on resource investing. And honestly, when you spend so much time thinking about the sector, it's hard to keep cash on the side. you got to really be disciplined to take that approach to where you're leaving your ammo on the side because our natural bias is to be bullish on the companies we like and also the underlying commodities. Well, and, and sometimes the portfolio will will necessitate that you're taking profits. So one of uh you know I'm, I'm always happy to talk about losses too because i think there's more to learn from losses than than just about anything else but that's part of the borrow brilliance philosophy is we don't live long enough to make all the mistakes ourselves um and they're very costly so we want to try to learn as much as we can borrow brilliance from others mistakes but i came into the year with uh uh azimuth for example was a, uh, a company that allowed me to increase that cash position because they basically came into 2020 with the first new discovery of the year, hopefully in uh, James Bay area of Quebec. And I got to know Jean-Marc Lulin a little bit and basically drank the Kool-Aid a uh, year or more ago of their big data, their technological approach to screening uh, properties for over 10 years. Basically, they've taken thousands of uh, what they call lake bottom sediment samples, which really seems to be quite a good regional scale exploration tool. So, so Azimuth, uh, I was just going to get my haircut that morning uh, and, uh, you know, stock opened up triple. So, you know, it, it actually served me to not be near the computer because, um, you know, I might've been selling some, but you, you let it, the stock breathe a little bit. And, and uh, so that helped me increase the cash position there. And um, that was just fortunate basically Daniel, on that point, when you see that there's a dramatic change in circumstances, whether it's, as we had recently, gold is up 100 bucks, or there's a halt on the stock, how do you, when you're by your computer or your finance app, how do you play that? Do you wait, you know, for the first two hours of trading to see what takes place before you maybe place a limit order if you want to sell off a portion? Or do you go at the start with a limit order, kind of like an upward stink bid? <laughs> how do you play that? In general, over the years, I, I think it's so important for everybody to find the strategy that matches with their personality and, and um, emotions first, basically. And I never 
was a day trader, but at the same time, you can't be a buy and hold forever type person. So to your question of, um, it, it's, it's fairly rare, I guess, that I'm in the market selling or, or buying because uh, I see now that most of the biggest moves seem, you know, you might classify it, some would say as a swing trading type thing, but I see any, whether it's three months or six months to three years seems to be the right window now where um, for whatever reason, stocks, especially micro caps can go way higher, or way lower than you'd ever think possible. So, but, but those moves happen in, uh, in, in relatively short time frames. So yeah, if gold's up a hundred, I'm not, uh, it's not affecting really any buy or sell decisions normally. But, uh, I think in general, it doesn't hurt, especially in a market like this for people to have those bids in. I, I think that was one of my observations is that the the sell-off was on relatively light volume overall. So the, the percentage declines were uh, quite big for, for a lot of them, but the, the volume was small. So it, it seems as though collectively, you know, there, I hear that, you know, there's people that could have hundreds of bids out at any given time and, and maybe offers as well. But and, and when it gets volatile, everybody just pulls everything they have which just leaves really nothing under the market. So, um, yeah, it's an advantageous time for, for people to just put out some bids if, you know, the stocks they like and have done their homework on, because you just never know how you might not get a lot of stock, right. But Hey, I, I guess the price is right. If even if you get filled on just 10 or 20,000 shares here and there. And Daniel, could you share qualities of a stock you would like to invest in now? And you can even name some names if you'd like. One of the things I've come to see and when we talked about in this industry where for better or worse, probably worse, it seems as though what I consider the lower quality companies tend to spend more money trying to get people's attention. And the companies that really have something of great quality almost don't want anyone to know what they're doing. I don't know if they want to keep it a secret or, or what it is. So there has to be a nice balance. So now like, this particular company, uh, 1911 Gold, is is one of my favorites. The symbols A U Mary Bravo, and why? Well, I I think it's because they have this sweet spot where they're you know you have this glut of development stage projects, hundreds of them, and and everybody seems to want to be a mining company and they're working their way there, but yet the ones that are already mining have these big discounts. So. Um, Exploration seems to be the place to be. Discovery, that's the one area the market's gaining some attention. So 1911 is pound for pound, I believe, the best deal in the whole market. I, I hope people leave some comments and things, but it, it, it has an enterprise value of $3 million. So they, they inherited uh, people that have been around will, will remember sand gold with the Rice Lake mine. So going towards the peak of the market in 2012, 2013, and Gold actually had a paper market cap valuation of a billion dollars, over a billion, actually. Obviously, that was too high. Um, there was probably some mismanagement there, to my understanding, but the gold price dropped significantly. Well, then Klondex bought them as a shareholder of Klondex at the time. And, and right as the market was turning in late 2015, Klondex bought this asset for $37 million out of bankruptcy. So I thought, wow. That seemed like a an opportune buy. Well, today, following a spinoff, um, you talked to Ross Beattie uh, I, about Luminex, 
and there's an example of a spinoff. We, we might touch more on spinoffs uh, later some other time, but um, Plondex spins off this Rice Lake asset as the buyer seemed to want these Nevada mines. And I think part of it was as a sweetener to get the deal done. I think the shareholders did want to keep that Rice Lake possibly. And, and then they were even, so, so they're the beneficiaries and I tend to be conservative, but the, the CEO there, Ron Clayton, just finished building a mine on, uh, for Tahoe and the, the Escobar mine that Pan American ended up buying. So this guy knows the cost on building something from scratch today. And he said this mine would cost about $300 million to build from scratch. So they probably won't get that. But with all the research I've done, the only decent argument I've heard against 1911 is, oh, what the faulty asset basically, or, you know, Sandgold screwed it up and Klondex uh, screwed it up too. But my argument is a third time's a charm. Now you have this company with a clean balance sheet, um, trades damn near the cash they have in the bank. And it's not an old mothballed mill, right, Bill? They, they generated um, cash flow last year, actually ended uh, 2019 with an increase in their cash balance, $9.6 million. So I'm looking around. I was also a shareholder of Balmoral um, that's getting bought out by Wallbridge. So most of the M&A seems to be happening in the Abitibi. You hear people always talk about jurisdiction and, and so forth. It's always important, but I think it's more important now than ever. Um, and so they're, they're in the right place. That's uh, one of the things I've tried to describe myself for to expand my audience here in Florida is referring to myself as basically a realtor for commodities, real estate. Um, there's, there's some nice similarities. Uh, one of the fundamentals of real estate is replacement cost. So, you know, you're not going to build a new house from scratch. If, if you can buy one that's existing and, and fix it up for a third of the price or so the replacement cost is, is something real and, and I don't see why anyone, you know, this is only 60 kilometers uh, from all the action in Red Lake. So then you, you have, well, there's been 50 or 100 times more exploration dollars spent in Red Lake versus Rice Lake. So um, sounds like discrimination to me. Any other type of companies uh, that you're looking at? I mean, are you loading up on explorers right now that are cashed up or royalty companies? You, you have, uh, you know, I'll touch on Luminex again and, and the idea of the spinoff. So this might not apply as much because a lot of spinoffs happen with junior explorers and um, most of them are, are garbage, but there's been studies done that spinoffs as a strategy. Um, I think this was a uh, Greenblatt uh, wrote about this, that spinoffs as a strategy will outperform the market for the most part. You could, somebody could just look at spinoffs done on the big board uh, every year. There's normally 30 or 40 of them. And, and these, the long story short is they tend to become orphaned investments. Uh, people get fractional shares or don't really know what they have in their account. So they tend to trade down or sideways for six months or a year. And, and, and then they tend to be great performers. So uh, I, I would put Luminex in that category. And, and, I, and I, well, when I mention Luminex, because you know, they're an example of someone that gets more attention thanks to, thanks to you and mining stock education, but Salazar. Uh, anyone that really knows the Luminex story, they've got that Pegasus property uh, that's been optioned Anglo-American, real 
real big numbers on that. They could spend up to $50 million. Well, a little company called Salazar is, is the nationally known, locally respected Ecuadorian exploration company. And that was an, you know, another visit I did about two years ago is went down to Ecuador and, and they actually own, they, they, they own that Pegasus property at one point. So I, I like, as we talk, these, these rare birds that don't need any money, there has to be something special about it. If you looked at an azimuth, you know, it, a, a year ago, it, it had the same market cap as say hundreds of other explorers, except that they had a 10 year track record. They had a technology they had a history of bringing in, you know, if you're a project generator, you have to demonstrate that other people will buy into your geological ideas. So, so why would I pick something else other than azimuth that didn't have all those unique factors? And I think it just puts the odds in your favor. So Salazar is an example like that. They haven't gone to the money, uh, excuse me, to the market and raised money in years and years. So on the one hand, they're carried uh, to production on their El Domo deposit, and then they have partnerships that are funded for exploration. They have 100% owned projects. They generate cash flow. And the problem is just no one really knows <laughs> what they're doing. When you talk about spinouts, I mean, I think one of the best wins over the last five years has to be Silvercrest, because I remember looking at that when it was $0.08. Cents. And it ran all the way up to $8. And like you said, that was a maybe a overlooked uh, spin-out at the time until they really started to pump out great drill results in mid and the second half of 2016. Fabulous, fabulous example there that I wouldn't have thought of, even though I, I, I own that. So there's probably one of my biggest mistakes over the last year is, is I didn't hold on to those spin-off shares, which I, I did own uh, the predecessor company. And uh, just really didn't realize there's a unicorn, right? And a great example of what can happen with uh, spinoffs and something like a 1911. You look, so the enterprise value is about three, four million bucks. Everybody's looking for deals and they say, well, where can you buy a whole greenstone belt for $3 million in Canada? Well, tough to find. And, and this one just happens to have a fully, this is a turnkey move in ready property. And they've, they've got, the, the money to, to move it forward. So, so why, yeah, there's just too much other stuff that doesn't stack up nearly as well with something, with something like that. And, and, and I say their biggest risk, I'll, I'll uh, try to write a big piece on it, but is actually being stolen, quote unquote. I think their biggest risk isn't those previous failures and that there's anything wrong. It, it, everything is relative. Uh, so you know, everything is about relative valuation. Uh, as as, uh, as BD was saying, he, he describes it interesting. He says Luminex is pregnant with value, but it's it's hard to quantify, right? Same with Salazar, uh, maybe same with 1911. But when you compare those, you know, in a Luminex versus everything else, that's where the value starts to make a little more sense. But you have to know what everything's worth, basically, to come to that conclusion. Daniel, as the investors listening to us, go to bullmarketrun.com. What's the value proposition for investors with uh, what the service that you offer? Uh, I say I think we're the uh, redheaded stepchild of the, the newsletter industry, which I uh, I like that position. We're uh, kind of like what was it the we're second best, so we try a little harder, like 
like Hertz, but we, we do, we do touch on some important politics stuff. I, I don't, you know, I think it's hard to ignore politics, whether that's things happening with uh, first nations and uh, or throughout Canada or uh, what's happening here in the U S. So, so we publish just about daily. I think that makes us unique. We're, there's just about something new daily on the site. We, um, we get into the politics a little bit and how that can uh, play an impact on, on stocks and, and the market in general. And we just dig through everything. So I think we're willing to stick our necks out a little more on things that maybe aren't proven. Um, I think that's a weakness of some of the services that are geologists, let's say. I, I think a geologist would tend to uh, rule something out for geological reasons, but that doesn't mean it can't make someone double or triple their money in the market. So I think, uh, I think being a geologist, I, I like to talk to the geologists and, and uh, get their feedback, but I don't think that's a skill set that makes for necessarily the best money manager and, and investor. And you like to uncover early stage opportunities primarily, is that right? I, I try to find that middle ground. I mean, you know, so like an azimuth, is that an early stage opportunity? Well, I, I, I guess it is, but they've been doing what they do for 10 years, just plugging away and um, maybe we'll become a 10 year overnight success story. Um, you know, the same ditto for the Salazar. Freddie Salazar used to run Newmont's uh, exploration team in the 80s in Ecuador. So we know Ecuador has kind of had its ups and downs, but my understanding they've really rolled out the red carpet for at least another two, three years. And Freddie was actually the person that introduced uh, Keith Barron to uh, Fruta del Norte. He, he told me that story directly at Beaver Creek through a, um, his uh, son translating, but I actually got that story firsthand. That was kind of cool. He's like, if you want to find a gold mine, go here. <laughs> right. So, so, so Freddie, and having seen it firsthand, um, I, I can't say I was shocked. I'm, I'm a little surprised that they're even shut down for now uh, because of this uh, pandemic. But nonetheless, they, you know, I'm, I'm sure their prospectors are still out working their way through the, the riverbeds and, and the mountains. And, and he and Salazar are known from the highest political. And I, I believe the guy that was running their um, community relations program is actually VP Minister of Mines now in Ecuador. So whether you look at politics, the highest levels, the highest level of business, who's uh, basically investors in the project and, and, and their team, um, and then again, the price, right? So they're, they're still priced just about the same as hundreds of other explorers, but I think the odds favor someone like a Salazar over over most of those others. So they'll probably get lucky where the others won't. Daniel, and the best way for people to reach you is at that contact page at bullmarketrun.com? Sure, yeah. My guest today is Daniel Cook of bullmarketrun.com. Go over there, check it out. If you have questions for Daniel, at the top right of the homepage, you'll see a Contact Us page. Click on that and send Daniel a message. Daniel, thanks for coming on Mining Stock Education today. I appreciate it. Yeah, Bill. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks. The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really, you could do really, really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very, very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks. Don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can. Do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on MiningStockEducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.